0: You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas.
1: That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas from ESPN.com, and joining us, as always, your friend and mine from MMAJunkie.com and USA Today, it's Ben Folks. Ben, how you doing this week?
0: I'm doing okay. This baby stuff seems to be getting a little harder. It seems You like, didn't tell me that it was going to get more difficult.
1: Well, I just wanted you to experience it for yourself in sort of a walking into the fire kind of a way.
0: You're a good friend. you know that?
1: Well, it, by the time it would have meant anything to you, it was already too late, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Fair point. I, I do think people, though, should know that we're essentially recording these podcasts under duress now.
0: Because uh, for, for basically from now on, we're recording these podcasts. At under least duress.
1: for the roughly the next 18 years. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or but, until one of us goes out for smokes and never comes back, which
1: could happen any day. Now, as usual, this week, the co-main event podcast comes to you in three rounds. In round number one, Demetrius Johnson successfully defended his UFC flyweight title against John Dodson on Saturday night. Or did he in round number two? rampage jackson says we're gonna miss him but i'm not sure exactly who he's talking to are you i'm not gonna miss are you gonna miss him
0: in a way in a way chad i will
1: we'll talk about it in round two and in round number three holy shit anthony pettis holy shit all that plus just saying stuff and are you fucking kidding me but first before we get into any of that like we always do about this time let's do some listener mail
0: listener mail
1: First question this week comes from JD who writes like many members of the media who are required to watch each and every card. One of your major complaints about the UFC this past year has been the number of shows. Now, when it comes to Bellator, you've stated that one of their strengths, ah, one of its strengths. You hate this. Yeah, I do. This is why you can't read most MMA blogs. I, know. So I make this mistake
0: over and I'll over I'll just again. go
1: ahead. I'll just go ahead and make the correction. Now, when it comes to Bellator, you've, st- you've stated that one of its strengths with the, fi- with the Spike deal is that they'll... Oh, God, he did it again. <laughs> uh, is, okay, I'll just do it. Is that they'll be on every week. Every week is in all caps. I'm assuming that you are not required to watch every Bellator card, though you may out of your own curiosity as a fan. Please explain the difference here and refrain from talking about the pay-per-view fee as the difference because that has never been your major complaint about the number of UFC shows. Thanks. We a weird stipulation at the end yeah. of that but to me price is not really an issue here. It's I mean the UFC is asking you to pay a lot more attention now, but both that and I think you know any p- sort of pay-per-view price that you could incur from the, the, the beefed up UFC schedule are sort of side issues if issues at all. To me, the real issue at hand is that you know the UFC is just held to a different standard than Bellator first of all. Like the UFC, the major problem with them adding all of these shows this past year has been that it's, it's spread the roster too thin and yes. the shows have become overall shittier. There's not just as many like uh, marketable or, or fights that guys would be excited to watch on every show because they have to spread them out over these new three or four different tiers of programming that they have now. Bellator doesn't have that problem. Number no. one, because Bellator could do a show every fucking day and it wouldn't water down their product because what the fuck would that even look like? How do you water <laughs> down Bellator's product? They've only got three fighters anybody's ever heard of.
0: Also, it's worth noting that when we made the point about Bellator, one of its strengths being that it was on every week, we also, I think, made the point that that's also its greatest weakness is that, that adherence to the tournament structure. We also, though, we can't ignore the fact that Bellator being on every Thursday night is not the same as the UFC being on every Saturday night. The UFC is uh, catering to an audience of mostly young men and asking them to stay home on a bunch of Saturday nights. It's not the same thing asking you to stay home on a Thursday night to watch a couple hours of Bellator.
1: Right, and Uh, I would say in a general sense, this is a better deal for Bellator just because now you know where they're at. Like before, they were on. It's uh, they were on the end. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, (laughs) Before, Bellator was on the internet, or it was on uh, MTV2, and, and no, nobody was watching that. Nobody knew where to go to find Bellator. But now, same time, same channel, every week, that's where it's at. So you can find it. In the future, maybe that'll become a problem. But right now, I think it's a lot better than where Bellator was at last year. Now, in terms of the it and the they <laughs> okay thing, Here we go. When you're talking, I feel like it's per- perfectly acceptable to refer to an inan- inanimate object as a they. Because everybody just does it. When you're writing, eh, rules of grammar, dude. They apply a little bit more than when you're just
0: talking. So you hold yourself to a different standard because we're doing a podcast. Yes. That's what you're saying. That's absolutely right. Well, maybe the the listener figured, hey, my question is going to be read out loud. So it'll basically, it'll be talking. That's true.
1: That's a good point. Perhaps I was a little bit too harsh on J.D. Apology accepted. Clearly had thought it through so much that he knew that we were going to be reading his answer out loud. So it didn't matter if he used proper grammar. Uh, Second question this week comes from Sasha Brady. He says, Matt Hughes becoming the Judge dread of the UFC uh, started me wondering about Chuck Liddell. Apart from screaming at Glover Tashira from Cage Side to punch Rampage in the face for him, what, is he, what, is the vice president's, uh, what has the Vice President of Business Development done in that role? I feel like it's worthwhile to talk about both of these positions, because obviously Chuck Liddell's may be largely ceremonial.
0: And was never pitched as anything else. Right. The Matt Hughes one, it seems like there's at least, in the initial announcement, there was at least the, the implication that he was going to be actually doing something. He was going to be this kind of mentor, this code of conduct mentor. Matt Hughes is going to be sitting dudes down and talking to him about the dangers of, of sexting with imaginary women on the internet, that kind of thing. Matt, you know, Matt Hughes is going to lend you a lot of his life experience and, and that kind of stuff. But the Chuck Ladell one, it seemed like we all knew from the beginning that it was just a bullshit job where they were finding a way to give Chuck Ladell a paycheck. Right. What I wonder is uh, if, if Matt Hughes actually is called upon to do something? I mean, he mentioned in the past that he would like to have one of these easy chocolate L yeah, jobs. that's the
1: best thing about it is that yeah. he totally like threw this idea out there almost like he was fishing in a local Hillsborough Lake.
0: So what now? I mean, is he actually... You think Matt Hughes is actually going to be talking to UFC fighters about conduct? I have two
1: questions. Number one, does the UFC code of conduct apply to executives? And number two, <laughs> how do you make a dude who spends the majority of his time talking about how he's not a huge fan of government in general. How do you make him the vice president of governmental relations or whatever the hell his official title is? He's like fighter development and governmental. I don't have it in front of me, but it was hilarious.
0: I remember when I first saw it, I LOL. You LOL. I I LOL. Also, I, I mean, we don't know too many details on the code of conduct thing yet, but one of the lines I read seemed like intentionally vague. It was just like that they're going to be asked to be hell, or asked to hold themselves to standards of common decency, basically. Um, which, first of all, is there a different standard of common decency if you're a professional cage fighter? As you said, does. UFC president Dana White hold himself to those standards of common
1: decency? He is going to be putting a lot of quarters in the swear jar (laughs) if he is held accountable to the same standard as the code of conduct, I assume, holds people accountable to. Anyway, uh, next question this week comes from Taylor. After UFC on Fox 6, Taylor writes... Dana revealed that the meeting he had with Brock Lesnar a few months back went very well, when at the time, he publicly stated how terribly it had gone. As professional journalists covering the sport, does this change your perception? Does Dana openly admitting deceit to media violate an unspoken agreement that the UFC occasionally has to deceive while putting together fights and events, but we, the public, just don't want to know about it? Well, here's the part where I remind everyone out there that dana white is a fight promoter
0: he's a salesman
1: so the fact that we would ever think that he is telling us the truth about anything is really just a testament to the amazing job that both he and the ufc have done in building his public persona where when he... he is viewed as a straight shooter <laughs> and
0: a regular guy he has admitted on uh, several topics in the past that he has lied to us in the media. Fight promoter. That's yeah. what he does. It's his job. Well, But then the problem is when he also wants to... He wants to have it both ways at times um, where he wants to be able to sit there and say, hey, listen, I'll tell you I'll tell you the truth and lay it out here and have everybody go nod their heads and go, okay, yeah, Dana White's shooting straight with us. Right. Like he He wants that credibility at times but then also wants to be able to just lie to us and then not have it affect it, like how we view him or, or how, people, how seriously people take his word on things. Code of conduct, dude.
1: <laughs> Code of conduct. You feel
0: like Matt Hughes needs to have a, a sit-down with Dana White yeah, about I'm this? I'm sure that would go great. Sit down um, at, a, at Hillsborough area Hooters and, and talk some things out?
1: <laughs> the last question this week comes from Mike Russell, who I don't think is the same Mike Russell that used to work for Cage Potato. I think it's a different, Seems like a different common guy name. entirely. As the mutterings of an Anderson Silva versus Kung Lee fight seem to be getting louder, I was keen to know what you guys think of this idea. Personally, I'm not into it. Just saying. Uh, this isn't real, right? This, like, they couldn't possibly make this fight.
0: This if, is If they are, a death if sentence. anyone, yeah, trying to fuck around and get Kung Lee killed, that's what's happening. Come on. Yeah, no way. I, but I've seen it on the internet a couple of different times now. People talking about this fight like it's
1: a thing. Like, it's a thing that could happen.
0: You don't even want to know what I've seen on the internet, Chad. You don't even want to know.
1: <laughs> I mean, if Kung Lee gets to fight Anderson Silva, that's the point when, I guess, if you're Chris Weidman, you just quit. You just give up. Yeah. It's like
0: in that cartoon we watched today of Johnny Hendricks sitting at home. That's an awesome cartoon, by the way. Uh, I think that that's the point. If you're Chris Weidman, you go all WWE on it, and you, you jump in the cage. uh Fix it somehow so that you interfere and Kung Lee wins. And then, boom, you got yourself a rivalry with Anderson Silva.
1: Why not, man? It's working right now. That is working. If Chris Weidman just went over the top and stepped up and demanded a fight with Anderson Silva, I'm sure the UFC would give it to him immediately. That's how all these guys are getting their title shots these days.
0: These days. Listen
1: to you. Anyway, that's listener mail for this week. If you have questions, comments, concerns, statements to make, gifts to send. Hey, before I forget, we got gifts in the mail this week from uh, New Zealander listener Claire Hammond, who has been with us since day one. Closest this podcast
0: has come to turning a profit.
1: Yeah, it was awesome. She sent us uh, some lovely pens and notepads, which are probably going to come in handy more than she even knows.
0: Yeah. Wait, before we move on, uh, people reminded me we forgot last week. We promised that we would tell people the story behind the picture of you with Ryan Leaf that pops up on Deadspin every single time Ryan Leaf gets himself in trouble again, which is frequently. Yeah,
1: frequently. And I'll tell you what, I felt like Deadspin was going to drop the ball during this last (laughs) Ryan Leaf sent to prison episode because they were so busy trying to scrape together Manti Tao girlfriend hoax news that. They let the whole Ryan Leaf had been sent to prison thing float for five six hours. I kept looking on Deadspin, being like, "When are they going to put this ridiculous picture of me back up there?" <laughs> just when I had given up hope, boom, there it was. Uh, so yeah, so there is an amazing picture of myself and our friend Jason Mcmacken.
0: You got to put it on the on the CME website for the people who hanging seen it.
1: out at a local watering hole here in Missoula, Montana, with Ryan Leaf, uh, former like the NFL Mo Club, quarterback. Right? Yeah, it's at the Missoula Club, uh, former NFL quarterback former uh, number one draft pick uh who is actually from Great Falls, montana, a lot of people don't know that but so he hangs out here frequently and is uh the shame to the great shame of the of the state of montana um one night I believe it was a Tuesday night. this is back when I was working at the local newspaper here so
0: what year is this two thousand and
1: seven this is a few years ago yeah he uh you know when you work for the local newspaper, you get done about eleven thirty at night, so it's not that uncommon you and some of your buddies go out have a couple of nightcaps before you go home and, and hit the hay, because as a sports writer, eh, you don't got to go to work till 3 o'clock the next afternoon anyway. So we were out uh, enjoying a quiet evening at the, at the Mo Club when Ryan Leaf stormed in the back door with a couple of area football players, and the first thing he did was strip off his shirt and throw it on the bar and yell <laughs> something, and the dudes who were working at the Missoula Club that night took one look at him and were like, there's no fucking way we're serving you. <laughs> So after a few minutes, He didn't even get one drink before no, they got. Oh god no, they cut him off immediately. <laughs> so he was sort of was like uh schlepping around the bar, making everyone's lives miserable. And uh he came up to myself and, and McMackin and another guy I used to work with and offered to buy my beer from me for a hundred dollars. Uh a Bud Light is what it was. If <laughs> wow I'm not mistaken.
0: Most uh, expensive
1: Bud Light ever. And I had drank about half of it. So I was like, <laughs> sure, man, you know, uh uh half of a Bud Light for a hundred dollars. Why not? So I I gave it to him and he chugged it. And as he was chugging it, I thought to myself, there's no fucking way this dude gives me a hundred bucks for that beer. (laughs) When he's done, he slams the beer down, takes out a hundred bucks and hands it to me and says, announces to the entire bar. That's because I'm rich, bitch. Awesome. And then, uh, I can't remember whose idea it was. It might've been Leafs, but, uh, we took a picture, (laughs) took a photo (laughs) with him and, uh, Somebody stole it off one of our Facebook pages, and the rest, I guess, is history.
0: Wow, that's a magical story.
1: So if you've got a question or a (laughs) podcast or a story about Ryan Leaf to share in the future, you can get in touch with us by going to the website and click the link at the top of the page that says email the podcast. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and kick things off with round number one. Ben, this weekend, the Flyweights did what Flyweights do in having a pretty awesome fight over the UFC 125-pound title, wherein Demetrius Johnson defeated John Dodson via unanimous decision. And I want to have a wide-ranging, free-form, just rambunctious conversation about how awesome Flyweights are. But to begin this round, I think we should talk about the topic that seems to be on everyone's minds uh, in the immediate wake of this fight, and that is whether or not Demetrius Johnson should have lost a point for kneeing John Dodson in the head when he was technically a grounded grounded opponent, uh, and whether or not if that when that happened, it would have forced the uh, the 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 fight to be a majority draw. Yes. And uh, so let's let's hear for hear about you. Okay. What, yeah. What's the deal here? Well,
0: like, you know, I wrote about this today. Today being Monday, uh, and. For me, it, it speaks to the larger problem we have with interpreting the rules in MMA. And we seem to have arrived at this like unspoken understanding that unless you seriously hurt a guy or do something that seems really, really malicious, we give you a freebie foul. Or a couple in the case yeah. of, uh, of uh, Demetrius Johnson in this yeah. fight. You know, there's this is one where... I understand how you can say that some fouls are accidental, right? Like, you, you go to you throw an inside leg kick, it slips up higher than you think, and it hits the guy in the groin. Or, you know, you have you have back mount on somebody, and you're trying to punch, and they're moving their head around, and you hit them in the back of the head, maybe. This is one, though, where he's got him in the front headlock position. Uh, John Dodson clearly has his hand on the mat, making him a grounded opponent, which I think is a bullshit rule. But, hey, it's a rule, so you have to abide by it. Uh, And then he goes ahead and he throws a knee, clearly designed for his head. It lands on his head. It's illegal. There's no way to call that accidental. Yeah. I mean, you could say that he didn't realize his hand was down, but you should probably, if you're in that situation, you should look before you throw that knee. I mean, that's your responsibility. But we act as if every MMA fighter is just now learning the rules. Like the rules (laughs) were explained to him for the first time, you know, thirty seconds before he got in the cage. Like we just went over it really fast on the Harley Davidson prep point or something. And then when he gets in there, we're like, hey, I don't know if you realize this, but that was illegal. Uh don't do it again. And, you know, say you're sorry. And then we'll we'll keep going.
1: You know what's weird though is how often it seems like dudes don't know the rules because remember when uh Nate Diaz rolled in to fight Ben Henderson? hold Hold on.
0: We're now we're we're into the Diaz territory.
1: Still though at the, remember he rolled into the weigh-in at 146 when he was going to fight Benson Henderson for the lightweight title and they had to be like, yeah, when it's a title fight, you got to make 155, man. And, and Diaz had to go back and cut a little bit more weight and come back and weigh in again. Like, how do you not know that? How do, you, how do you become the number one contender for the UFC title and not know that you got to make 155 for your title fight?
0: Okay, well, and okay. then
1: remember when uh, uh, West Sims stomped on Frank Mir's face? This was a long time ago, so it was actually maybe defensible that he didn't know the rules. But <laughs> yeah, he see, stomps on Frank Mir's face, and then I saw him after the uh, the event, and I was talking to him about it. Both West Sims and West Sims's dad, by the way, <laughs> who's just as awesome as West Sims, and they were just flabbergasted.
0: They they couldn't believe that you couldn't stomp on a guy's face in the UFC. At least back then. You could argue, like, well, different organizations have different rules, and if you're fighting in Japan, and if you're fighting in the U.S., and you don't know, and, you know, some organizations don't allow elbows on the ground, but we've passed that point. MMA is not a new sport anymore. The unified rules have been around for a long time. If you're in the damn UFC, especially if you're a UFC champion, the baseline level of what we should be able to expect of you is that you are aware of all the rules. Therefore, if you break one, you should be punished right then, not, like, after you break the same one that you've already been warned about. That's the thing I don't get. It's like we don't want to be too hard on these guys for breaking rules that hurt other people. Uh, so, you know, we, we want to warn them first because, hey, taking a point away can affect the outcome of the fight. And, right. But, hey, so can kneeing a guy in the eye when he has his hand down and thinks that he is in a situation where you can't knee him.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we should make the point, Demetrius Johnson, not a dirty fighter. No, And for all we know, when he kneed Dodson in the face – Maybe he couldn't even see that his hand was down just because of the position they were in. That said, shouldn't matter. We need to take the referee out of this position where not only is he trying to officiate one of the most dynamic and fast-moving sporting events in the world, but he's also trying to divine the intent of the fighters when they break a rule. In my opinion, you break a rule, they just should take a point away. Pretty much no questions asked. And I think part of the problem is... And I admit this is a much larger problem, but part of the problem is the scoring system that they use. The 10 point must system for MMA, it's not really perfect. It's not even really that applicable at times. So one of the problems is when you take a point away, when you're using the 10 point must system, basically you just cost a guy a round. And when there's only three rounds, taking a point away is a pretty huge deal. So maybe the ultimate answer to all of this is eventually, at some point, please God, moving toward a, a better point scoring system for MMA. Maybe where, uh, you know, point scoring is, is cumulative throughout the fight and uh, losing one point isn't as big of a deal.
0: Well, to me, it's just that right now, because we're too afraid, probably because it is a big deal to lose a point, we're too afraid to, to enforce that. And therefore, we're not really enforcing our own rules. And Joe Rogan, I think, made some point about it on the broadcast during the prelims, where during an eye poke. He was like, look, we can say unintentional, and most eye pokes are unintentional, but at at the same time, you shouldn't be out there with your hands out in the area of the guy's face. If you start taking points away from people when they do that, uh, then they have an incentive to, to do something about that. Right now, if we're just like, hey, knock it off. Tuck your fingers in. Stop poking people in the eye. Okay, let's go. You know, there's no reason not to go ahead and do that. Yeah, you know?
1: and 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 like I said, the intent shouldn't matter. Like whether or not you were trying to do a foul, if it was an unintentional foul, it shouldn't matter. You should just lose a point. It's not like in basketball if a dude is going to the to the rim and you foul him, the it's not like the the official is like, oh, well, you know what, you didn't mean to foul him, so. Uh. <laughs> yeah. We'll just give, we'll just give you the ball. You don't get any shots. Yeah. So just take the ball. Cause it was unintentional. Or we'll
0: just talk to you. We'll give you a stern talking to what
1: and, and the thing that really bothers me about this particular point is that once again, this is the second time he's done it. John McCarthy after the fact was like, oh, well he was trying to play the game. You know, he said John Dawson was, quote-unquote, trying to play the game by putting his hand down on the mat so he couldn't get need. And I sort of agree that it's kind of a chintzy rule, but the point is, if you don't like the rule, let's change it. And as yeah. long as it's a rule, you have to enforce it. And to say that someone is, quote-unquote, playing the game by following the agreed-upon yeah. rules of the, the fight the is ridiculous. Yeah.
0: yeah, no, it's, you know, if we're going to say, I agree that that rule should be changed, but if we're going to say these are the rules, then you have to expect both fighters to go in there knowing that and to adjust their game plans accordingly. I mean, as for the actual fight, I don't know if you can say that that knee, you know, that one knee necessarily changed anything uh, about the course. I mean, it didn't do John Dodson any favors to get knee in the eye (laughs) at that point. Um, But I, I still think, though, when you look, especially at the later rounds, you look at Demetrius Johnson and you think, okay, that is a dude who deserves to win that fight. He, yeah. he was doing poorly in the beginning. He got he got dropped a couple times, uh, and then he figured it out, came back, uh, and at one point figured out that John Dodson had no answer for the tie clinch, uh, and wore him out in those later rounds, which is tough to do to a guy like John Dodson. Yeah. So he deserves credit for that. And oh, yeah, I think I Demetrius agree. Johnson, with that win, now I feel like we're starting to look at that guy as as a real UFC champion. Whereas before it was, you know, he won one fight in the newly created division and got the belt for it we weren't quite sure what to make it. now he feels a little bit more like a champion to me
1: sure i agree with all with all of that there's one thing about him that kind of worries me though and that is that he seems to xbox have xbox sponsorship no i love that okay and after the fight when he was like oh man first things first i thought for sure he was gonna thank our lord and savior jesus christ <laughs> instead he goes and he thanks xbox which was awesome
0: yeah uh, at least we know xbox is real
1: yeah exactly exactly um the thing that worries me about Demetrius Johnson, though, is that he's got this fighting style that is a little bit Frankie Edgar-ish, maybe not in the, down to the, to the real nuts and bolts of how he fights, but he, he's got this style where it doesn't seem like he's going to stop anybody, and he's just going to like, craft a reasonably competitive decision. And I think that we've seen in the past, with the way MMA judges are, you can only do that before so long before you're going to lose one. And that's the thing that worries me about Demetrius Johnson. I don't feel like, at least at this point, that he's one of these guys that's going to be a long-term champion if he keeps winning these fights the way that he's winning them. Because eventually, you're just going to drop a close one. And maybe in the rematch, you drop that one too, even though you may have won it. And the, the truth is, if John Dodson and Demetrius Johnson fought again... I wouldn't have a hard time picking John Dodson to win that fight. I think that, you know, he showed in that second round when he dropped Demetrius Johnson twice that that's a a pretty winnable fight for him. I think if he shows a little bit more urgency Yeah, you wonder if that
0: was an issue of uh, experience for him that he thought, well, okay, I dropped him. I'm in no hurry to go in there and finish him. I'll get a chance to drop him again and maybe now learn that, hey, especially over the course of a five-round fight uh, with a guy who's as savvy as Demetrius Johnson is, You drop him a couple times, he's going to avoid those kinds of situations with you after that. He's going to do something else. He's going to switch it up Yeah, it seemed
1: like that was probably part of Dodson's game plan, that he wanted to be real cautious and didn't want to rush into anything. But at the same time, man, if he never gets another shot at the flyweight title, he's going to be thinking about those two knockdowns for the rest of his life.
0: Well, that's the good news about the flyweight division right now, is that if you win one fight, maybe two... There's not enough guys to keep you out of the, the top of the, the division there. Yeah,
1: they're talking about uh, Joseph Benavides and Ian McCall are fighting, and then the winner of that may face uh, Demetrius Johnson, which would be a... a rematch a either rematch way. either way for Demetrius Johnson. Maybe about, a
0: trilogy if it's Ian McCall. The, the,
1: the point that I wanted to make, though, was that, yeah, right now the flyweight division is pretty shallow, but I have hopes that it will deepen itself soon that we'll just see sort of a trickle down effect because i mean look at what's happening at the in the featherweight division right now even though featherweight and bantamweight totally had a jump start because the the wec was around before they brought them over to the ufc those divisions you could argue were a little bit shallow when they brought them over and now you've got guys like clay guida who's dropping down and and um you know guys like uh, ricardo lamas is emerging as a as a possible uh, contender, so I feel like these lower weight classes are becoming deeper, and you know it may get to the point where it's just sort of a race to the bottom in terms of yeah. weight.
0: No, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. And also, it still has a thing of if you're a, a talented you know wrestler or a, a athlete in another combat sport at, at a lower weight class, what else are you going to do? There's not a whole lot of pro sports opportunities for you know. dudes who are five three and walking around at like you know 135 140 pounds
1: yeah uh all right well let's do are you fucking kidding me and then uh we'll move on to round number two uh this week we we touched on it a little bit in listener mail but my are you fucking kidding me is about the possibility of a Brock Lesnar Fedor Emelianenko fight at Cowboy Stadium are you fucking kidding me Dana playing with my emotions fucking kidding me you know I would complain about that but I want to watch it so bad if it's not going to happen, don't tell me about it. You fucking kidding me?
0: You know, Chad. I on my way over here. Uh, I saw. Uh, I passed by uh, this bakery and saw this delicious giant giant chocolate chip cookie. And oh, I know I how love you that. love chocolate oh, chip cookies. I would eat that. But then, you know, I was I was in a hurry to get over here, so I, I didn't get it for you. But I just thought I would tell you about you fucking it. Fucking kidding me? My, are you fucking kidding me? This week uh, goes out. We we talked a little bit about Matt Hughes's official retirement and his new cushy corporate gig. Uh, But during the prelims on FX, uh, the UFC ran a kind of a Matt Hughes tribute video package. Um, And it seems like when Matt Hughes announced his official retirement, he got way, way better in a lot of people's memories. He was called the greatest welterweight of all time. Not true. uh, Called the greatest UFC champion ever. Not true. Uh, I mean, he was beaten twice by the greatest welterweight of all time, George St. Pierre. And, I mean, is anybody... Do we still remember this Anderson Silva guy? Kind of seems like maybe he's the, the greatest UFC champion. And I'm not saying that Matt Hughes isn't a legend, wasn't great, but... To just go over the top with this unreasonable praise that we would not have heaped on him when he was still an active fighter. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Why does it have to be like that? Why can't we just say he was really, really good without lying to ourselves about how good? Fucking kidding me. Anyway, that'll do it for round number one.
1: We're going to get started with round number two right now.
0: Round two. Chad Quentin Rampage Jackson lost his third fight in a row and the last fight on his current UFC contract. And, at least from the shape of things right now, seems like that could probably be Rampage's last UFC fight ever. He seems to think that uh, he'd be better off outside the organization. There seems to be less and less reason to think the UFC will bend over backwards to try and keep a guy who is clearly on the downswing. If this is it for Rampage and, and he's really gone, A are you going to miss him and no. b and b what do you make of this guy this freaking guy rampage
1: you know i believe that at least in my mind rampage jackson will, will always be remembered as a guy who the myth never really matched up with the man and in fact i can't really think of another fighter at least especially not an active fighter Where the bill of goods that we were sold before he stepped in the cage was so far removed than the actual product that showed up in the cage, especially in the later years, because I feel like we've been doing this with Rampage Jackson for a long time now. Where leading up to the fight, the promotional line about him is, oh, he's so dangerous. You know, he's so exciting. You better be ready for the rampage because I know Quentin Jackson is ready to go to war. And then Did Mike he shows Goldberg up. just
0: show up here? Did Mike Goldberg get on the mic?
1: Well, we can talk about Mike Goldberg <laughs> later. But that's, the, that's always the company line before he fights. And then he shows up in the cage and it's like, eh, not really, you know? He probably didn't train that hard. He's probably not that interested in going the full 15. He's probably just going to try to throw them bungalows for about two, three minutes. And as long as you can kind of give him a rough time for the first round or so, eh, that's pretty much it. So to me, he's a guy who has always been a little bit overrated and a guy who really built his career on highlights. And not necessarily on really impressive wins.
0: But he had some great highlights. And he had some impressive wins. Well, he rates. has the one. Yeah.
1: He has the one great highlight that we all know. Which one are you referring to? Well, he slams Arona. That's okay. the highlight.
0: He knocked out Chuck Liddell. Twice, yeah. So that's not a highlight? Well,
1: those are his other two highlights. Like, Rampage Jackson built a career out of slamming Ricardo Arona he in was... a fight that he was losing. And knocking out Chuck Liddell twice.
0: Went five rounds with Dan Henderson. Beat him. Middleweight Dan Henderson. <laughs> Middleweight, sometimes light no heavyweight, one, occasional heavyweight. Let me let heavyweight, just say this. No one in Dan the Henderson. light
1: heavyweight division has made a better career out of whipping the shit out of middleweights than Rampage Jackson.
0: Well, that might be true. You know, I, I think that maybe you're being a little hard on Rampage Jackson. He, he was, many times when he showed up interested, fun to watch. He could, you know, out of nowhere hit you one big shot and, and change everything.
1: When was the last time you saw Quinn Jackson do something fun in the
0: cage? Well, I guess that depends how we define fun. but Because uh, I'm going
1: to say maybe 2007 when he knocked out Chuck Liddell.
0: Okay. Well, to me, the, the point is now, uh, if Rampage really thinks that he'd be better off outside the UFC, I mean, he, I would think a guy with his recent track record, if he is making the kind of money that Dana White says he was making, and again, Dana White will lie to you, so what do we know? Uh, I would think that guy would really, really want to hold on to that UFC job would really be grateful if they still wanted to pay for his services. uh, When you look at his decline for him to think that he'd be better off, you know, whatever boxing, uh, doing movies, doing one-off fights in Japan or something that boggles the mind.
1: Yeah. I mean, at this point, unless he really, really needs the money, I can't see why he would ever want to fight again. I mean, he's clearly not that into it for starters and he's not going to be a champion. The references he made to Gary Goodridge after the fight were terrifying.
0: Yeah. No, that is, yeah. For those of you who did not catch that uh, in his post-fight on the post-fight show interview uh, with Ariel Helwani, uh, Rampage said that he he doesn't think that he has it in him to compete with the top guys anymore, but... He will be one of those fighters who goes out there and promises you a good show. And even specifically said, I might be like a Gary Goodridge type fighter. Not
1: true, though. He's not really going to give you a good show. That's just <laughs> what everyone is going to say before he fights.
0: Well, the thing is, the way that Gary Goodridge, what Gary Goodridge traded on throughout the, the end of that K-1 run and his, his run fighting in, in Japan and doing MMA and kickboxing there was that he was willing to, to make sure somebody got knocked out. And now we see the, the health issues he's going through. He paid for it. Rampage, I think, knows about Gary Goodridge's health issues. So saying that you're going to be that kind of fighter, and, I mean, it's kind of like saying that, you know, you're going to go uh, and get Ryan Leaf kind of trashed tonight, uh, but not be hungover tomorrow. You don't get to really, like, do one without dealing with the consequences. That is kind of a troubling thing to hear from Rampage Jackson.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I was kind of being facetious about it before, but if you're Rampage Jackson, this just strikes me as a really good time to walk away. If you know and are admitting out loud that you can't compete with the upper echelon light heavyweight fighters, you've already had a good long career. You've almost against all odds built yourself into a marketable fighter despite the fact that, Every time someone talks to you, you either seem like a bully or a homophobe or, you know, you hump the reporter. Uh, you were the light
0: heavyweight champion, for God's sakes. Would it surprise you terribly if Rampage Jackson had not managed his money super well? <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't at all. Well, it, maybe that's something
1: to consider. That is something to, to, that, you know, it's probably more
0: likely than not. On but, the flip side here, Glover Teixeira. Yeah. Uh, goes out there, looks pretty good against Rampage. Granted, uh, Rampage wasn't putting up a whole lot of fight, especially on some of those takedowns. Oh, uh, toward the Glover, end, sure Glover took him just, down like he was dropping off his laundry. <laughs> he could just reach out there, grab Rampage's leg, and fling him to the mat uh, at times. But, you know... Good win for Glover Teixeira. Definitely the biggest name he's beaten. But it seems like to me a lot of people are doing the thing that I know you hate where suddenly Glover Teixeira is the it guy. Everybody's talking about him as a potential contender, uh, a challenger for John Jones maybe. He's won three fights at light heavyweight in the UFC, has yet to beat a dude who is coming off a win in the UFC. I didn't know. That's a good stat. Did you look that up before you came here? I did look that up. Kyle Kingsbury, uh, Fabio Maldonado, uh, and... uh, rampage all of whom had lost uh, at least one fight coming into that fight so again it seems like we're doing that thing where we get a little bit ahead of ourselves the dude wins you know a couple fights and oh my god he's the greatest thing ever and then as you love to say as soon as he loses uh, everybody will talk about how they knew he was overrated particularly watching him in that rampage fight You go to fight some of the better wrestlers in this division, John Jones, Phil Davis, uh, Rashad Evans, some of those guys, you're not just going to reach out there, grab their leg, and and fling them to the mat. You're also probably going to pay for it a little more if you, you charge right in there without moving your head at all when the dude is throwing punches at you. You can get away with it against Rampage. To me, though, I look at that fight, I don't see a guy who's at that elite light heavyweight level yet. I don't even see a guy who beats Alexander Gustafson.
1: Yeah, this was one of those fights where you kind of feel like no one came out of it looking that great just because of the style of fight that it turned out to be. And I guess how you gauge Glover, or Glover, as we're saying now, uh, Tashira's performance, probably had a lot to do with how you thought of him heading into this fight. Like if you were one of the people who was convinced that he was the the best thing since sliced bread and he was going to tear through the UFC light heavyweight division and was ready for a title shot right away. Maybe you thought he looked kind of shitty. And if you were one of the people who thought that he still had a lot to prove, maybe a victory over an aging and in decline, Quentin rampage Jackson is a positive in your book for me. I wasn't overly impressed. Like those takedowns, those takedowns were so easy that it, that they were either really really impressive or Rampage had a blown out knee or something because he was just not even trying to stop them.
0: Well, after 3 minutes in, Rampage seemed pretty exhausted.
1: Yeah, well, he was throwing those bungalows for, for the first 3 minutes, bringing the, the Rampage and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> it
0: happens. Bringing the Rampage. Here indeed. comes
1: the Rampage, says Mike Goldberg at one point. No. <laughs> no, once again, <laughs> you can say that but it's just not true. Yeah, all right. Well, anything else you want to say on this one before we move on? No, I th- I think we about wrapped it up. I, I
0: How about this? If if Rampage had suddenly announced his retirement after the end of this, do we do the Matt Hughes with him where suddenly he was the greatest light heavyweight of all time and uh most exciting fighter to ever grace the octagon? I and mean, do you think that the that the way he's going out kind of on bad terms Does he get Frank Shamrocked after this point?
1: (laughs) Boy, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, uh, he has not, in my opinion, been incredibly impressive since the, the, the end of Pride. And so, but the UFC, again, he's just one of those dudes that no matter what, they just seem to totally love the guy. Like, he can go on the radio and talk a bunch of shit about you, and then as he's leaving, he's going to be like, you're going to miss me, Dana. And Dana's like, I miss you already, buddy. <laughs> it's like, what? Like, anybody else, he'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, we it is, are so
0: done with you. It is surprising. Like, Gerald Harris never pulled that shit. <laughs> no. Also, Gerald Harris never made you uh, come get him out of jail after he, he ran amok in a monster truck. So, uh, you know, you'd think, yeah, that maybe, maybe Rampage had... Had overstayed his welcome, but the UFC doesn't seem to act like it. No, and well, the thing about Rampage is,
1: like, a lot of people are talking about him going to Bellator. Man, there's no way he wins the Bellator light heavyweight tournament if they make him fight in it.
0: Well, it, I there's think no way
1: he he definitely
0: loses one of those fights. To, to see him against Mo Wall I think would be a lot of fun. But if I'm Bellator, the thing I'm thinking about here is, if this is a dude who every single employer he's ever had in his life, he eventually. Falls out with them and then goes out in the media and talks about how bad these people tried to fuck him. You think that's not going to happen to you? Because it's totally going to happen to you. It's like when you date somebody and they, everybody, they, they start telling you about all their exes and how they were all psychos. Alright, everybody is entitled to date one or two psychos. That happens. But if all your exes are psychos, you're the psycho. That's just how it works. If everybody you meet is a fucking asshole, you're the fucking asshole. That's just a fact of life. So come on, Bellator. You know you're going to end up in that same situation if you get into a deal with Rampage.
1: Yeah, I would save my money. I can't, for the life of me, think of what he would be worth to Bellator in terms of how much they would have to pay him in comparison to what he's going to bring to the table. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three.
0: Round three.
1: Well, Ben, the fight that the hardcore mixed martial arts fan was most looking forward to at last Saturday's UFC on Fox card was certainly the lightweight clash between Anthony Pettis and Donald Cerrone. I'm not sure that it lived up to the hype in terms of being a back and forth brawl, which is sort of what we expected. But holy shit, Anthony Pettis looked impressive. And I think from that aspect, it totally delivered. Um, how surprised were you by how good Anthony Pettis looked? And do you think, let's just go ahead and vault this guy into a title shot against the winner of Gilbert Melendez and Ben Henderson?
0: You know, if you'd have told me that Anthony Pettis was going to go out there and and knock Donald Cerrone out, I wouldn't have been terribly surprised by that. I I would have found that believable. If you would have told me that it would be just a straight-up assault the way it was, I mean, that looked like what I would expect the fight to look like If Anthony Pettis had trained for eight weeks and Donald Cerrone had gotten surprisingly woken up out of bed at 7 o'clock in the morning after a tough day of wakeboarding and wasn't really ready and you shoved him in and made him fight, uh, he just looked like he had nothing for Pettis. And Pettis, with all his crazy stuff, you know, every once in a while you watch him do some of that stuff and you think, come on, you don't have to be so flashy. But he makes it work, man. Yeah, Uh,
1: especially in the jumping knee off the cage. When he first did that during the fight, I was like, oh, well, I... Too bad that didn't land. And then they showed it on the replay and it
0: totally landed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then he gets them with the old body kick, the one where, uh, you know, Cerrone takes a step back, thinks, I'm okay, I'm okay. No, God, I'm not okay. And collapses to the mat. You know, that's. Beating a guy like Donald Cerrone like that is truly, truly impressive. If I'm Anthony Pettis, though, here's where I start to get a little worried that, hey, I'm being promised another title shot. I've heard these promises before.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because, well. Benson Henderson and Gilbert Melendez are going to fight when in in April? Is that what that is? The next that's the next Fox show. Yeah, right? the next Fox show. I think show. it's in
0: April. Yeah, I think so.
1: And then so you're looking at three four months after that before they're going to put the lightweight title on the line again.
0: And who knows what happens if uh, there's a draw? What happens if it's a close decision? We got to have a rematch. Something weird happens, so, or the guy who wins uh, and has the belt gets hurt and is out a while. You never know. You never know what can happen. So promises are pr- just just air at this point.
1: I guess if if things play out the way they're supposed to, best case scenario is Anthony Pettis gets a title shot in maybe August. Kind of seems to me like it's not totally out of the question that they would make him have one more fight.
0: Don't do it, Anthony Pettis. I wouldn't Don't do it either. Do it. But
1: I mean, I'm telling you, they 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 run this company line about how you know they like fighters who fight and and. And then, of course, maybe the most untrue UFC spiel about guys taking fights. Well, you're going to have to fight everybody in the division anyway, so you might as well do it now.
0: Yeah, but if you Instead do it Instead of you...
1: waiting until you're the champion yeah. when we would have to pay you so much more. Yeah,
0: yeah, when you're getting points on the pay-per-view and all kinds of other crap. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Uh, if You know, a lot of situations, I'll say, not a great idea to sit out and wait. Uh, this is one, though, where... Anthony Pettis has done everything you could ask him to do to earn that title shot. Uh, as long as we're not talking about him waiting for two years or something in order to get it, yeah, that guy deserves his crack at the belt. But it's also, I, I see people doing the thing where they're like, no, we should, he should immediately leapfrog Gilbert Melendez and get in there. Like, MMA fans, again, in that kind of situation, they are, they become like MMA judges. Just remember what they saw last. And, okay, oh, that guy was great. Let's see him fight for the title tomorrow. Can we, can we set something up for next weekend? You know, Come on, let's, he, he, he fought really well, he, he did everything you could ask him to do against Donald Cerrone, uh, now he's going to have to wait and take his chances.
1: Yeah, maybe Gilbert Melendez falls out with an injury. Not out of the question. Maybe Anthony Pettis could ha- uh, hire that spy that John Jones had in Quentin Jackson's camp before they fought.
0: Well, and couldn't have been too great a spy, he got caught by the, the always-on-his-toes uh, always rampage.
1: Maybe we could have a Frank Gotch, George Hackenschmidt type scenario where one of his training partners blows out his knee right before the fight. Anthony Pettis has to step in. He just happens to be there. We bought a ticket. He's sitting ringside. (laughs) Who, me? Who,
0: me? Showtime Pettis? I guess I could go. Now, as you mentioned, I do have my gear in the trunk of my car.
1: (laughs) Uh, So I guess uh, only tangentially related, but as Anthony Pettis becomes a UFC lightweight title contender it turns out maybe eddie alvarez isn't going to be one anytime soon as you know this past week alvarez also uh, was denied his request for a preliminary injunction uh, by a judge to that would have allowed him to fight at ufc 159 Um, instead it looks at least like he and bellator are going to have to go back to court together um, and maybe this is sort of the straw that breaks the camel's back for Eddie Alvarez because, eh, guy's twenty nine years old. I don't know how much time he wants to spend, uh, r- r- you know, fighting in court with Bellator.
0: It's worth it to spend a little bit of time. Well,
1: I agree with you there, but I mean, it's in a, in a way, it's sort of like the Randy Couture type situation where you either pay a bunch of money to go to court or you could earn more money by going to fight. So, um, while I don't agree that this denial of the preliminary injunction was a crushing blow to Eddie Alvarez. It also seems sort of like, eh, I don't know if he's going to win if they, if they take it all the way either.
0: Well, this is one where uh, I'm going to be really interested to see how it plays out because uh, the idea of like, you know, what's a match in a contract in these MMA contracts. And it's a a situation where some of the UFC's vague contract language can kind of be used against it. Uh, But I'm gonna be really interested to see what an actual court says. I, you know, I know I keep asking you to to get your lawyer wife to fill us in on all the details, since neither one of us know anything about the law. Uh, I mean, look look at the way you live. You're just flagrantly breaking the law every single day. The only
1: thing I know about the law is what I have to do to not violate my parole.
0: Okay. <laughs> Basically, keep you know more than a hundred yards from the schools and places where children gather. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and I, I, I know that's a struggle, but you're doing a good job. But I, I think that that's one of those things where, however, it plays out, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, just what we learn about uh, what the legal system actually thinks of some of these crazy MMA contracts. Where, yeah. you know, you're, you're saying, especially for Bellator saying, like, yeah, hey, no, we'll give you uh, the same points on the same uh, hypothetical pay per view. I'll give you 25% of my lottery winnings, Chad. Oh, cool. You know,
1: can I get that in writing? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Excellent.
0: I'm just going to need you to uh, give me some money up front first. Oh, no problem. Yeah. I just
1: happen to have this stack of cash with me with me right now. <laughs> uh, well, here's the thing about the, the, the Eddie Alvarez situation. I kind of felt all along like this thing that his lawyers had done this past week was more of a Hail Mary than anything else. I felt a little bit like, you know, when you get charged with a crime, the first thing your defense attorney will do is file, file a motion to get the charges dismissed because... Hey, man, why not? Maybe they will get dismissed. (laughs) But, you know, it, it seemed like a lot to ask to have a judge grant this injunction for Eddie Alvarez that essentially would have denied Bellator's claim before they even really went to court about it, especially since granting the injunction would have meant that Eddie Alvarez would have just gone and fought in the UFC at UFC 159, which at that point... Yeah. Yeah. It seems like your your whole game over. Yeah, game over at that point. So I thought it was uh it was a long shot at best that he was going to um win this at least this part of the battle. Uh but the ruling, like I said before, also makes me think that maybe he's got an uphill battle on his hands.
0: Well maybe he's got some time for it though, because as we were just talking about the state of the lightweight division, you already know who's gonna be the, the next challenger and then the challenger after that. Uh and who knows how long that stuff might take to play out if people get injured or you know uh, all that stuff has to be hammered out. So maybe if anything, uh, if you get time to, to wait a little bit, you could come in and uh, be in a better position once the the current lightweight situation gets figured out a little more. Who knows? Yeah,
1: it'll be interesting, and we'll 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 have to stay tuned to see how how it shakes out uh, in in court. I have no idea. No uh, no even sense how long that might take.
0: Ask your lawyer wife.
1: Man, my lawyer wife's not going to spend her time reading up on the Eddie Alvarez case <laughs> so she can uh, administer a an opinion on it. Cuz well, we can pay her. Use some of that money I just gave you.
0: How about if we give her some of the uh, stationery that we were... That we, we, <laughs> that got. we were gifted from yeah. Claire
1: Hammond? I don't know. It's nice, man. Maybe... Uh, Maybe we could work out some kind of a barter system there for the for my wife to provide us with legal services. Unfortunately, which, I feel let's like... Let's face it, she's going to have to do that eventually. <laughs> I All right?
0: feel, unfortunately, I feel like uh, odds are that your lawyer wife is a much better negotiator than either one of us.
1: God, I hope that's true. Uh, anyway, well, should we do just saying stuff, or do you have other lightweight no. topics that you want to bring to the table? Let's,
0: let's just say some stuff, and then let's get out of here.
1: All right. Uh, I'm just saying this week that... We can talk a lot of shit about Mike Goldberg.
0: You we know? can. Oh, we can.
1: We can and we do. But at the same time, I can't think of another MMA broadcaster whose name is not John Annick that I would rather have in the booth for my live Fox show when suddenly the audio craps out and somebody has to carry the entire broadcast. Adderall or no.
0: Oh, oh, low blow. I'm just saying that rumor. I'm just saying
1: Great job, Mike Goldberg. I mean, I'm trying to give the guy a compliment. Okay, great yeah. job.
0: That was a, that was the worst compliment anybody's ever been given.
1: Huh. Okay, a well, little weird. Anyway, <laughs> what what are you just saying?
0: I'm just saying, uh, Clay Guida won uh, another one of the less inspiring Clay Guida versions of victory, uh, winning a split decision over Hatsu Hayoki. Uh, you know, I remember once. Uh, I think right after the movie Talladega Nights came out, you know, the Will Ferrell, uh, John C. Riley yeah, movie, John C. Riley was saying how he had to have his mustache for the movie and how he found that the mustache granted him an air of authority that he had not earned and did not know what to do with. And that once he even saw a car accident where a bunch of people stopped after they saw his car accident, everybody got out of the cars, was kind of standing there, no one knew what to do. They looked over at John C. Riley, saw the mustache, and they were like, well, this guy will know what to do. <laughs> I feel like if Clay Guida doesn't have that weird porno slash highway patrolman's mustache that he came into the fight with, doesn't have that weird error of authority, no way he wins that decision. I'm just saying. Really? That's a a mustache-oriented decision. You think the judges looked up? I don't think they knew they were doing it. I think it just gets in your head. A guy with a mustache like that, you think, well, this is a person to be taken seriously.
1: Yeah, well, I think maybe you have a point, because if you look up there and you see one guy clean shaven and you look across the cage and Burt fucking Reynolds is standing over yeah. there, I think we know who is going to get the nod mm-hmm. from the judges. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Anyway, that's going to do it for the the co-main event podcast this week. We will be back next week to just continue chopping it up about mixed martial arts. Uh, as for now, you can get in touch with us if you need to. Go to the website coemaineventpodcast dot uh, But for the, this week, we're done. We're through.
0: We're out. See hey, how big and how famous do you think you need to get off of this podcast before Ryan Leaf starts telling people about how he has a picture of you?
1: Oh, well, maybe he's telling guys up at the beer that log, Matt, right now, <laughs> <laughs> so he's fitting into his, his, his I'm,
0: sure, I'm sure they're quite impressed. Oh. You, you, Your name rings out if you're...